Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Mastermind.fm. Your hosts today are Ninja James Laws of Ninja Forms fame and myself, Jean Galea from WP Mayor and WP RSS Aggregator. Today, we're going to be talking about starting from scratch with a WordPress product business. I think it's going to be a very interesting topic. Before we dive into things, a few words from our sponsors, and we'll be back with you soon. Before we get started today, we'd like to take a moment to thank WP Engine, one of the premier managed hosting services for the WordPress community. They've become the first official sponsor of Mastermind.fm and have an offer exclusively for you, our listeners. If you give WP Engine's one-year managed hosting plan a try, the first four months are on them. Just enter the coupon code MASTERMIND at checkout. Now, we can't speak highly enough of WP Engine as a managed WordPress hosting service. They're one of the best, and if you're in the market for a host, looking to upgrade, or just curious about their plans, look them up and give them a try. You won't be disappointed. If you do wind up on board, send us an email at podcast at mastermind.fm and tell us about your experience. We'd love to hear from you. Welcome back. Uh, so in the last two episodes, we talked a little bit about kind of getting started with a WordPress product, whether that, you know, whether you already had a product that you're getting ready to launch and some of the prerequisites to getting started. Uh, and today we're going to actually take so a few steps even further back before you have the product idea, before you've ever invested a dollar, before you've done anything and and you start to move in and you say, hey, I want to get into the WordPress space with a product or some sort of service. How do I get started from scratch? I have absolutely no foundation, no idea. So the question comes from, uh, Jean, you actually posed this question. Do you want to kind of set us up as to where this kind of came from? Sure. So I have a lot of conversations with friends from my childhood and lately even my dad. So I try to encourage them to start a business in general, you know, but Obviously, I, I, we end up talking about the WordPress space. And uh, as you can imagine, the question comes up uh, and they tell me, uh, how would we know where to start? Is the technology space? We come from a different background. So we have no idea where to start. And obviously, my perspective is it's not that hard to get started with a product and uh, be successful. Obviously, I'm skipping a lot of steps because I'm already used to them. So. Talking about this with James, we decided to sort of break things down so that we could explain all the bits and pieces that fit in our press product business, basically. Yeah, I get a call. I probably get a call a couple times a year from somebody, usually a customer, who's already working with us as a, you know, working with our product and seeing how we're doing our business. And they reach out to me saying, hey, I have this idea. I want to get into business. I want to come into, I want to get into space in some way. I wonder if I could ask some questions and get some, you know, talk to you a little bit uh, and get some advice uh, on how to get started with that. So it, it's something that kind of we get hit with regularly. It's a little more personal for you right now because you're having kind of having that conversation right now. But it's something that comes up a lot. And so I think there's some things that we need to talk about before we get started delving into you know how do you get your ideas and where do you you know how do you find developers and you know, what are the different ways of breaking into this space? I want to say something about the WordPress community in general that's, I think, a little different than other spaces. And I could be completely wrong. I don't have as much um, experience in, sp in, the, in the spaces outside of WordPress. So feel free to leave us a comment, send us a question, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. But in the WordPress space, it's a lot more communal 
uh, from what I can tell, than other business sectors. And what I mean by that is, if you're going to try to come into the to the WordPress space and have get any kind of traction with a product or a service and not engage the community personally, face-to-face, over calls, on Twitter, wherever, and build and establish relationships with the community in general, I think it's going to be an uphill battle for you. Because the WordPress space, to me, feels more like a tight-knit community where we support our own. We, you know, when people come into the space, the people, you know, the people that come in humble uh, and giving and in that process, we tend to build up and cheerlead and give, you know, give advice and help them out. And the people who come in obstinate and say, you know what, I'm going to do my thing despite the community. I'm going to do my thing uh, regardless of what the community thinks is the best way of doing things. You're, you're going to have a hard time. And I can think of a few places, a few businesses that even in the last couple of years that came in with this kind of attitude of, you know, I know this is the way everybody in the WordPress community does it, but we're going to do it differently because we have a better idea. And those businesses don't exist today. Like they just fell apart and they may have tried to pivot into a broader spectrum or or to change sectors, but they're failing. And the reason they're failing is because they tried to come into a community uh, environment with a non-community attitude. And I just think that's that's important to say as we talk about this. Jean, do you have any uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, for sure. So this is something I mention every time. So from from my viewpoint, it's very easy to come into the community, but it's very important to come into the community and the WordPress space with the right mindset. I like to mention humility and the willingness to learn about the community, about the way WordPress products are constructed and marketed and, you know, this kind of this kind of thing. So it's very important that you have the time to learn how things work within WordPress and precisely not do, as James mentioned, where you come in with your own mentality from another industry, maybe, or another tech sector and try to impose stuff on the WordPress community. The WordPress community is very resistant. Sometimes it's a bad thing about the community where we're resistant to change, but on many other occasions, it's a good thing where we protect the way things are done at the moment. And uh, I don't mean to say that it's uh, sort of closed or old fashioned, but there's a kind of sense of community which by its own nature uh, has its own rules and uh, even customs that need to be respected. Yeah, I, I would almost say one way of describing it is WordPress is a community, is a business industry that seems to have a value system that's maybe different in other business sectors. When you go into other business sectors, you don't necessarily think of an entire business sector having a value system that is important to that community or those types of businesses. And WordPress very much so does have a value system, a an ethical code by which we we all, whether unwritten or written, whether spoken or unspoken, live by. And it's important to to acknowledge that and to work within that. I, I think that's a, that's a good. Thing. And some of this moral code is just simply, you know, a lot of times is don't be a jerk, you know, like you know, be humble, be teachable. And, and, you know, it's not that the community is not without its problems and not without its challenges and not without its closed-mindedness at times. Certainly it is, like any community. But there's a richness in that community as well. And, and so you have to kind of balance that as you come into it. Yeah. So let's say you're open to enter into the WordPress space. Now, let's talk about how you could get started, the different ways 
of getting involved and having that product that you can sell. So the first option would be the most straightforward option if you have the money would be to buy an existing business or to partner with an existing product owner who might need the cash flow maybe, or you can partner with a technical co-founder. There are many different ways. So I guess we can start deconstructing these ways one by one. Yeah, so the first way we talked about, right, is just acquiring something, finding an established business that's already functioning, that already has a customer base, already has a brand, already has a product, and just purchasing it. Now, if you're a non-technical person, you, you better hope you're purchasing some technical talent with that acquisition. In my mind, and I, so this may be an unpopular opinion. Maybe it isn't. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna, when I, I think of acquiring a product business, I think you're acquiring three things or a, some combination of three things. You are acquiring the brand, so the reputation that the company has in the mind of the community and the mind of its customers. You are acquiring their customers. Their, their user base and all the people that use the product currently. And possibly you are acquiring their talent, the people who built the add-on, the people who support or the, the plug-in, the product, the people who, who support it, the people who market it, uh, the brains behind the operation, whatever the case may be. So you're, you're essentially acquiring these three. You're not generally buying the code. And that is something that I think you need to be aware of in, in the WordPress community. All WordPress products themes, plugins, are licensed under the GPL. Now, we have an episode that we talked about the GPL in in great detail. I think we spent an hour kind of on this topic. And so you can go back and listen to some of the challenges under the GPL. But essentially what the GPL says is anybody can take your code and, and fork it, copy it, duplicate it, and resell it under their own brand, under their own business, uh, intellectual property, if you will. So they can start to Take, and this we've seen this happen in the space, right? So WooCommerce was a fork of JigoShop. And so they didn't acquire it. They forked it. They tried to acquire it. I mean, in, in full disclosure, they offered money and there was talks. And there's a lot of stuff that I don't know about all that went into that, into that process. But in essentially what ended up happening is they could not come to an agreement. And WooThemes forked JigoShop and built WooCommerce. WooCommerce is now the largest e-commerce solution in the WordPress space. It's huge. It's making millions of dollars. It's a big company. This company was then acquired by Automatic, the the company behind WordPress.com. They purchased it for multiples of millions of dollars. I don't know the number. I'm sure somewhere that number is posted. But it's rumored to be in the region of fifty to sixty million. I think, yeah, I think it's reasonable to think it's somewhere in the, in that range, right? And when they when Automatic acquired WooCommerce, what did they purchase? They purchased the brand WooCommerce. They purchased all of their customers, and they acquired, what, 50-some-odd employees, I think, and and absorbed them into the automatic company. Now, that's huge value because they had a huge customer base. The product is already making millions of dollars a year. They have a lot of talent, and that brand is very well-known. But WooCommerce, the product itself, and this is the part that might be controversial, in my mind, in the Jeep, under the GPL, is essentially worthless, you, because anybody can fork it, anybody can take it. Now that's not as easy said and done. Like you can't, nobody can just fork a product. It's not easy for anyone to just fork a product, uh, release new features for it, support it, and all that stuff because you didn't build it, so you don't know how it all works. But for a good technical team who can dissect a product, can look at it and understand it and read code and all that stuff, yes, essentially that product is worthless. It can easily be forked under a new brand. What you're purchasing is the brand, the customers and the, the talent. Those are the things you're going after. So keep that in mind when you talk, talk about acquisition. 
Don't just go buying a product because you think you like the idea of the product if it has a terrible brand and no customers. It's still not going to do you any good. So that's just those are my points of view. I'll, I'll, I'll hand it over to Jean for any of his thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, it's very, I, I would agree with everything you said. So you have to be aware of what you're buying. On, in many other um, tech spaces, you're actually buying the product. The product is ver a very important aspect, but within WordPress, it's different. So that's very important. And in many cases where you're buying a lower priced product, you're actually buying the product itself more than the stuff because it would be probably managed by one person who wants to do something else and he's just selling his product. So that makes it a bit more difficult for somebody who's non-technical to come to come aboard and take the product forward. So you have to keep in mind that you'll probably need to hire a technical person to help you out there. And so I can speak about the places where you can actually buy these products. And the three that I have in mind are Flippa, Empire Flippers and FE International. So these are the three <clears throat> big marketplaces, Flippa being the biggest one by far. So Flippa is the, as I said, it's the biggest marketplace. You can buy anything from domains to whole businesses, products. Yeah, you can buy it on Flippa. It's an auction-based system usually. So we've seen multiple sales within the WordPress space. WP Mods is a blog that comes to mind. Recently, we have WP Lift, which was sold for around $205,000. And very recently, I believe last week, we had a product, Sliced Invoices, which was sold for around $40,000. And so I have this mix of products and blogs being sold there. Then we have Empire Flippers, which is not really WordPress uh, specific, but again, there's a number of different products. Amazon FBA products being uh, very popular right now, but they do have some WordPress products for sale every now and then. Um, the difference between Empire Flippers and Flippa is that Empire Flippers is a managed kind of, it's a broker more than a, just an, a marketplace. So the brokers will actually dig into the business and see how it's working and present the kind of report that goes with the sale. So for someone coming in with no experience, going with a broker is much safer, in my opinion, because you've got this picture that the brokers have prepared for you. Then we have FE International, which I believe is the, the best way to acquire a, a WordPress business, especially if you have no technical knowledge, because they prepare some very good due diligence reports and work with you as a buyer to make sure that everything's in order when you're buying the business. So again, these are brokers broker they have a percentage which they take from the sale and uh, we've seen a number of businesses sold through them as well i can't recall any names at the moment but you can head over to their website and you can see even right now i checked uh, just earlier today and they have they do have a, a few wordpress businesses for sale there and the prices um with a fee international tend to be on a higher higher a bit higher than flippa although flippa we've seen some quite expensive sales relatively like in the case of WP Lift. Obviously, in the case of acquisitions like WooCommerce, the acquisition would be a direct acquisition without any intermediaries because in this case, Automatic contacted the WooThemes guys and negotiated the whole deal. When it's a deal that involves millions of dollars, it's typically done directly and not on these kind of websites. But FE International deal with up to 2 million valuations, basically. And an interesting thing which an investor might be interested in web properties because it's quite a new space and the multiples are very low. So you might be buying a business, a WordPress business, which at 2, 2 or 2.5 times the yearly net revenue 
revenue, not profit, in other words. And when you're obviously investing in a stock market, uh, the multiples are much higher and the returns can be lower. So there's more risk, I believe, in WordPress products. However, the returns can be much higher. And within two years, you can get your money back already. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know as much about the some of these acquisition spaces, although I've been I've seen the news and watched some of these products sell. And, you know, like in the in the situation of WP Lyft, I was shocked to see it kind of go as high as it went, um, which brings up another question too, that you, or at least another thought that you have to be careful of when you're looking at it is not to be too swayed by perceived value. There, I mean, I'm not saying that WP Lyft isn't worth 205,000. Uh, to me, I don't necessarily see it, but there are smarter people who may have made that position, made that decision, and maybe using it to their benefit. I don't know anything behind the the background of that, um, but I can say you have to be careful of putting on too much perceived value versus the actual value of the of the of the product and of the company. So you really do have to sit down and weigh how much is are there how many customers do they have? How much are their customers worth? What is their lifetime value of their customers? How many of their customers are likely to renew uh, you know next year? What is the you know what is the product price point? What is the talent behind it? Do I have the team that can maintain the product and support the product? You know, all of these things are the actual value and cost of the business are are important when you're thinking about acquiring and coming into a space especially that you have no real experience in you really have to consider that so you could get yourself i think in a dangerous position when you jump too high because of the perceived value but you've not thought through the actual logistics of what it takes to actually run that business yeah one other thing i forgot to mention when doing an acquisition you need to be looking at how long the product has been on the market and what's been its performance over a number of years so in the case of wp lift it's a blog but it has quite stable traffic and also revenue of around ninety thousand dollars a year so that needs to be taken into consideration as well so somebody who's coming in and buying that blog has a, a stable product that he can even hand off to someone to manage for him. Whereas in the case of Sliced Invoices, which was a recent product sold on Flippa, the, the product had become premium just a few months ago. It's now doing around $1,500 to $2,000 a month, and it's been sold for $40,000. So in my opinion, that's more risky So because it's a very new product. And uh, keeping in mind that there's already other competitors in the invoicing space, not only in WordPress, but something like FreshBooks, which also can take that market space away from you in this case. Yeah, and there's, I mean, at times that, that shifts because you will... If you get into the space, after a while, you start to learn the the ebbs and flows and the trends in the space. And so you might see a product that you go, you know, it's not making a lot right now, but I do see a slight like slight uptick, and I and I know that and I know that that particular type of product is a growing. Uh, need in the community. Like I see that trend. Maybe you look at Google Trends and you're looking at what, like, what people are searching for uh, and, and what kind of solutions people want. And then after a while, you start making those kind of gut purchases because if you buy early, then you get to benefit from the explosive growth in the end if you can anticipate that. And some of that is a risk. I mean, acquisitions, a lot of time, you know, while there is smart business acquisition, there is a little bit of, um, you know, kind of playing the stock market or gambling a little bit in the sense that you're saying, hey, I'm betting on this product actually becoming a $100,000, $200,000 million product a year. And so I'm willing to invest a little bit more on that front end because I see where it's going. And that comes just with, I think, time and watching the space and a little bit of, you know, maybe you're just 
business savvy and you have that gut instinct and you can kind of play that. So if you have the money to, to, do, to do it, then that, that's actually really kind of, kind of an exciting way of looking at it. For sure. And before we pass on to something else, let's take a short break for our sponsor and we'll be back with you soon. Check this out. We all know how important security is on today's web. This week's episode of Mastermind.fm is brought to you by SiteLock, the global leader in website security solutions. They bring you the most comprehensive suite of security software on the web with vulnerability scanning, malware detection, removal, and prevention. They also offer Global CDN, the content delivery network, to boost your speed and ensure your visitors are reaching you as quickly and efficiently as possible, no matter where in the world they are. Give SiteLock a look at sitelock.com mastermind. So welcome back, and uh, we're going to continue talking about going into the WordPress space with a new product or an existing product. We've been talking a lot about acquisitions, so now we, we should probably talk about other ways that you can get into the WordPress space. And one of them is obviously starting from scratch with a WordPress product business. And you can either be a technical person starting with your own product. And perhaps the number one question that people ask me is how long does it take to start making money? How long does it take to make enough money to replace my full-time job maybe? So these are the kind of questions that we need to tackle, in my opinion, if we're talking about starting from scratch. Yeah, and I, I think that, you know, obviously that's going to be different for everybody because it really depends on what your needs are, um, what kind of stability you require for your family. Obviously, like a single person going into business might be able to take on a little more risk than, say, somebody who has a, a family that they have to provide for. Uh, so I'll use myself as an example. When we, with Ninja Forms, it started to take off in, in January of 2013. We started to see sales. The decision that I made is, you know, I kind of had a monthly... Uh, revenue, monthly recurring revenue that I had to see happening. But beyond that, personally, I had to save up about a year's salary um, so that if it ever started to drop or significantly or just tank completely, I had a year kind of runway to either launch another product or find other solution, find another job or whatever it is I was going to do. So I think that's kind of different. You have to kind of weigh out what is the risk you're willing to take um, as far as how long a product can, it takes for a product to make enough money for you to do that, obviously that determines one on the goal, like what does it need for you? Um, and again, that can be lower or higher. The other thing that it takes is, uh, you know, how fast the product can grow. Um, and that and that can be, d depending on the space that you're going into, could take a lot longer than others. Uh, and some work can be, can be really fast. I know for me, it took me one year from January of 2013 till December 31st of 2013, uh, which is when I quit my job to do this full time. It took me a one year to save the money and get to the place where I felt like I was, the, the monthly revenue was stable enough to support me and to take that risk. And I'd like to point out that, that at that same time, I had just found, you know, just a little few months earlier when I made the decision, because I made the decision probably around... Uh, May of that year, maybe, uh, no, not exactly May, maybe closer to June or July. But I had just actually found out my wife was pregnant. So we had a, a child on the way. And now I'm making this decision to quit my job and, and do this. So uh, you have to also think, factor in how much can your stress level, how much stress can you handle? Because that, that's a high life change uh, and can be high anxiety. Yeah, for sure. So I would say that it's 
easier for younger people in their early 20s to give it a go since you can be living with your parents maybe or you can even go off and be a digital nomad like I did. I was in Thailand when I started my product business. Obviously you can be living very cheaply in these areas and you really have nothing to lose basically. So you can just give yourself six months of a runway, save some money before and you know give it a go and see what happens. The good thing about the WordPress space is that you can start with the freemium model. So what you do is give a product away for free via the plugin repository and see how the uptake is. If you have a lot of requests and people who are obviously willing to pay, that's a very good sign. That means you can go on and offer premium plugins and start making money from day one, basically from the day you release that premium plugin. And then it's just a case of ranking, ramping up the traffic as well as other premium extensions that go along with your free plugin. And obviously that will not take too long to replace your full-time income if you had one or just to give you enough money to survive on and you know keep keep things going and i would say in general you should be aiming at one to two years from the start of your journey to towards you know having a stable product business and obviously that depends on how much time you put in it obviously if you're doing this part-time in the evenings that's gonna take a potentially much longer time than if you're concentrated on this product full-time you know working hard on it attending events doing all the marketing as we said earlier it's very important to be active in the community so even getting feedback on the plug on the plugin or theme it's very important yeah the effort you put in it is not always related uh, directly to how much money you get but obviously it's gonna help to have that amount of hours every day to put in your product john let me let me pose a question to you so you you give a runway and i i, I completely agree right one to two years um in most cases at what point do you do you decide to pull the plug like that the current venture that you're trying just isn't going to make it it isn't going to get you where you want to go and unless you pivot completely or just scrap it and start something completely new, you're not going to, you're probably not going to fulfill, you know, your, your goals. When, how do you, how do you make that decision? Yeah. I mean, there's different ways of looking at it. You can set a monetary goal. So you can say, I'm going to start this product. Say, let's say I want within six months, a thousand dollars a month. You're right. So if you're not anywhere close and you're earning $50 a month, that's obviously cause for concern and investigating. What I like to do is take a monthly, make a monthly progress report and not wait until the six months have arrived and suddenly re realize that I'm going nowhere. So uh, measuring your progress especially in the early stages on, on a continuous basis is very important. Beyond that, as I said, having the freemium model enables you to start on a strong footing because you can gauge the demand before you launch the product. Those are the two initial thoughts that come to mind. Do you have anything in mind, James? No, I mean, I, I agree with you. I think on some point you have to, uh, this probably comes back to this kind of the, the gut instinct only you know whether you've put 100% into your product and into your business. And so I, I agree with Jean, you need to do regular checkups. You don't set a goal for six months or a year and then only look at how you're doing then. You have to set up smaller goals and, and, and check up checkpoints where you can evaluate how am I doing. And at those times, the other question you need to be asking yourself, not just did I reach my revenue goal or my customer size or you know, customer acquisition or any of that, you have to also ask yourself, did I do all that I could do 
to promote this product and to get it out there? And only you can answer that question. So another thing that comes to mind, I'm looking at it from a different angle, now, not, not as the product owner, but as some person in the community, which is responsible for reviewing products. So from the WP Mayor aspect, where we do a lot of product reviews, we had some cases where people come from outside the community, they might be great developers and spend eight months, six months, whatever, developing this product, then ask us for a review just before they launch or just a month after they launch. And unfortunately, what what our, I mean, the review would show that they're, they've gone into a direction which clashes with the community, the way plugins are done maybe, or there's an existing plugin which they didn't even know about and it's obviously going to be very hard to compete against or their pricing model is off and a lot of other things, you know. So getting another perspective from people in the community is something that I would do very early on. Even if you're just putting up a demo, demo site and inviting people to try it out or giving it away for free to the major blogs out there or actually getting reviews, you know. This is very important early on. Don't spend six months developing a product and then tell someone about it you know you have to be involving the community right from the start even going on places like you know post status they have the slack group if you're a premium member and you can you know bounce the idea around see what the other people think these are people who are experienced in the community you know they they know what plugins are available they might be agency owners who are always on the continuous lookout for new plugins, and they might tell you whether you're on the right track or not. Yeah, and th- th- I mean, this comes back to our very first point about the WordPress community, that this is this is why you engage the community. Uh, e- even if it's not just users, but other developers who, can, who are more familiar with how development hap- happens inside the WordPress space and can can kind of steer you and say, hey, I you know, I, I get what you were trying to do here, but in WordPress we would have done it this way, and this is why that's important. Getting that feedback is great. So I, I agree with John and, and getting multiple feedback. So user feedback, getting people in your product. That's why the freemium model works really well. It's getting people using your product and offering that feedback on how they actually use it. And then getting developer feedback on on best practices within the WordPress community. Because while most best practices practices and development will overlap, WordPress does have some of their own very specific best practices for working within the WordPress ecosystem because you're working within the WordPress code base. So that's something to keep in mind. Yeah, so right, so far we've talked about making an outright acquisition of an existing product. Then we've spoken about being a technical person coming into the space, building a product from scratch. And this was basically my case where I built my own product and scaled it up. And then there's a third option, which can be to partner up if you're a non-technical person or if you're a technical person but don't want to do any marketing or community stuff, you can partner up with someone with complementary skills. And James, maybe you can tell us more about this since it's more kind of what you did. Yeah, I, this is yeah, this is exactly how I did it. So I'm not, I, you know, I learned development uh, through this process of building these, of building Ninja Forms. And before I was working as a web administrator for my uh, local regional credit union. And so I was doing all of their sysadmin stuff and, and building their websites. I knew, I knew enough development to build websites, build small plugins that I needed to, to do certain things, but definitely couldn't build something on the scale of what we have in NinjaForms. That was beyond me. But my, one of my best friends is a, is a phenomenal developer. And so I would po- throw things his way and get ideas from him and have him help me build stuff that I needed for, for the job that I was doing. 
and I we ended up taking on a client that needed forms, and he helped me build it. All that to say is I couldn't have built it on my own. I needed somebody technical to do that. Now, there's two ways of going about this. Not long ago, I got a phone call from somebody who said, I have this great idea, I have this great product, and here I'm gonna, what I'm doing is I'm hiring a developer, they're gonna build it for me, and then I'm gonna run this business. And so he was gonna hire a one-off developer to build this product and then just start going with it. My advice to him was, one, if he trusted this developer, not from a, you know, non-compete disclosure type standpoint, but do you trust them enough to go into business with this individual? Because my advice to him was, you do not want to be a non-technical person running a business without a developer on your payroll, or maybe even more importantly, as a vested partner in the business. And the reason I say that is, what will inevitably happen, and it has happened to all of us, is your product is going to go buggy or break or something is going to cause a problem at Saturday at 2 a.m. And that freelance developer that you hired to build it is going to cost twice as much to get them out of bed if you can even get a hold of them to help you out at that time. But a partner is, is, is tied to the success of this project and is going to be up at 2 a.m. going, oh crap, how do I get this thing fixed for this person or these people? And so there is a level of, from a business standpoint, it takes so much stress off my shoulders knowing that I have a technical business partner who stands to lose as much as I do if something goes wrong and I can't fix it. But guess what? I'm up at 2 a.m. on Slack with him talking about what's going on and what he's working on and what I can do to contact customers. And we're working together to solve this problem. But man, it's a lot of pressure and it's really stressful when you're not a technical person and now you're trying to find a developer who can help you solve this problem. Uh, so I am a huge advocate from the business-minded individual who wants to get into this space, finding a technical partner, uh, building a relationship with somebody that you trust, that you can, you know, it doesn't have to be 50-50, but man, if you can find that person who's like you just sync with and you're creative with and you can innovate with, it's not that you don't have say into products. I have shaped our products immensely not being a developer. But because we have this mutual respect for each other, my input is valued, we talk it through, but I know I have somebody who can build it, who can support it, and if things go wrong, it's going to care as much as I do. And I think that's important. Yeah, I think that's excellent advice, James. And obviously, I can totally agree that it's much more of a pressure. From the pressure standpoint, it's much more being a solo founder than having two people on the job, especially when you need uh, to bounce off ideas. You know, it takes longer thinking alone when compared to having someone who's just as invested as you are in the business and you can just bounce ideas off and discuss new features and all that. Yeah. And it's not just, right, it's not just about somebody who can build the project, but I even if I was technically, because I'm the business side of, of our business, but even if I was technically able to build the product on my own, I wouldn't want to do it on my own. I wouldn't want to be alone in this. That seems so lonely, when, especially when things are rough. When things are great, sure, maybe they're great, but when things are rough, man, to have somebody who is right beside you that is working working through that process with you, that's taking at least some of that pressure off, is I think it's important. 
Now, don't make it sound so bad for single product owners. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. I think it's rough. I I wrote a post uh, on JamesLaws.com of why I'm glad I'm not a solo founder for that that very reason. Like it feels it feels it feels rough. I'm, I'm there's some people who are wired for it. Uh, apparently, I'm not one of them. Yeah, I'm definitely very stressed at times. My wife can confirm, <laughs> but now we know the reason. <laughs> <laughs> See. <laughs> So, yeah, I'd like to get some feedback from our listeners on this episode in particular, because we'd like to know what your struggles are in launching your product and what your questions are. And we have to we could tackle them in, the, in one of the next episodes. So please do contact us on podcast at mastermind.fm. Hit us up on Twitter or even comment on our website. You, you know, you have different ways of getting in touch with us. And if you've loved this episode or the podcast in general, please do leave a five-star review on iTunes if you like it. And if you don't, just let us know anyway. You can find me on Twitter at Jean Galea. And you can find me on Twitter at James Laws or on my website, jameslaws.com. And so we hope to have some more feedback from you guys and keep listening and see you in the next episode. See you next time.